because of all these jokes going on, uh, Al and Kenny decided they needed a break from me. Right, guys? Yeah, that's true, isn't it, Al? Let's just stop there. No, let's continue on. And so they decided to get away from me a little bit, have some distance there, you know, in love. And, and they decided to do a road trip, you know, this guy thing, to go to Nebraska and visit Al's family back there. Right, Al? You got family back there, right? Okay, this is sort of true. And, and so one day they're walking through the woods out there in Nebraska on this farm, and they come across this big old deep black hole, big old hole. And so Kenny, being a guy and all, he, he, he picks up this rock and he tosses it into that hole, and he stood there listening for the rock to hit bottom, right? And, but the problem is, as he listened, there was no sound. And so Kenny turns to Al and he says, hey, Al, man, that must be one big deep hole. Hey, let's throw an even bigger rock down there and listen to see if it'll hit bottom. So Al and Kenny, they find an even bigger rock and they both picked it up and they, they lugged it to the hole and they dropped it in. And, 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 but as they were listening for quite some time, again, not even a sound. And so again, they agreed, man, this must be one big giant hole. And so they decided to throw something even bigger into it. And so Al, he spots this railroad tie nearby. And so he and Kenny go over there and they pick it up and they're grunting and they're growing with this railroad tie. And, and all of a sudden they're lugging it back to the hole. They toss it into the, to the hole, the railroad tie there. But again, even that, not a single sound. But then all of a sudden, right then, this goat comes flying out of the woods, running like the wind. If the goat flew right past Al and Kenny and it jumped straight into that hole. And so Al and Kenny, they're amazed, and, and they're just standing there dazed, and, and all of a sudden, this old farmer, he comes out of the woods, and he says, hey, have you guys seen a goat? And Al and Kenny, they told the farmer the incredible thing they just saw, where this goat flew right out of the woods, ran, leaped into that big hole. And so Kenny said, hey, to the farmer, could this have been your goat? And the farmer replied, no, can't be my goat. He was chained to a railroad tie. You know what? What do you say about that, Ron? What do you do? You just work with it. It's a, I, Al and Kenny just seem to find trouble even when they're not looking for it. Can we agree on that point? I tell you what, but that's right, folks. Believe it or not, did you know the Bible says there's also going to come a day to the whole planet when people are going to find some trouble. They're not even looking for it, but it's really going to happen, and that's going to happen at the rapture of the church, okay? They're going to fall in a pit, so to speak, okay? And the reason why is because they were heading for a troubling time because they continue to refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And the Bible says they're going to be catapulted into the seven-year tribulation, and that is not a joke. You wish it was just a goat flying by, okay? It's an outpouring, the Bible says, of God's wrath on a wicked and rebellious planet. Jesus said in Matthew 24, it's going to be the worst time in the history of mankind. And that unless God did shorten that time of calamity, nobody on the planet would survive. Serious stuff. But as we've been seeing, praise God, God's not just a God of wrath. Hey, he's going to put an end to the evil and suffering and the injustices and the baloney that goes on today, including the politics. Praise God, that's good news, okay? But praise God, he's also a God of love as well. And because he loves you and I, his creation, he's given us so many warning signs. There's no excuse for us to be caught off guard when the tribulation was near. We don't know the exact day nor the hour, but we have been given sign after sign after sign after sign when it's getting close and you better be prepared. Therefore, in order to keep you and I here at sunrise from experiencing the ultimate bad day, apparently even worse than going on a road trip with Alan Kinney, we're going to continue in our study called The Final Countdown. That's right, Jim, The Final Countdown. We've already seen the number 10 sign on The Final Countdown was? Jewish people. The number 9 sign was? Modern technology. Number 8, worldwide upheaval. Just pay attention, read the lips of John. Uh, number 7 was? Rise of falsehood. Number 6? And uh, number 5 was? Are we almost got it. I'm still going to give John a piece of gum for today for participating Look at that. You guys are on the ball. That's right. And last time, if you were here, we started a new one. The fourth sign was the rise of what? 
a one world religion. And what we saw there was that God lovingly foretold 2,000 years ago that when you and I, Christians, see all the religions on the world coming together as one, which is happening right now today, thanks in part to the light of interfaith or interfaithism, which is an attitude of welcoming all faiths. Okay, and we saw that this has been totally planned out chronologically. It's being coercively forced upon us through lies and manipulation. And of course, it's being heavily promoted in Hollywood, the government, even the Vatican. And so guess what? The Bible says, guess what, Christian? You better wake up. That's the sign to indicate, like it, lump it, leave it or not. You're in that generation. You're living in the last days. But that's not all. The second way we know we are headed for this one world religion is due to a watering down of the truth. Okay? The watering down of the truth. Of the truth. Now, what I'm talking about today, and Lord willing, the next week as well, is what's called the ecumenical movement. Okay, last week we talked about the interfaith movement. Now, this is the ecumenical movement, and this is where they're working at trying to get the church sucked into this lie of a one world religion. And again, if you want to understand this, you just simply put yourself contextually into the Antichrist shoes, okay? Think about it. If you're going to deceive the whole world into creating this one world religion, then last week, you not only have to get rid of one religion being superior over another, right? But listen, you also got to do something else. You have to get rid of any sense of absolute rights and wrongs, right? Why? Because it's common sense. Because if people on the planet still think that there's genuine absolute rights and wrongs, then it's going to mess up your attempt of getting everybody to say that all religions are right and nobody is wrong. Right? So you got to get away with that. Now listen, that's what the ecumenical movement is doing. Okay? Now listen, you got to do your homework. For those of you who don't know, it used to be somewhat of a good term. Not anymore. It's been changed on this. The word ecumenicalism is defined as the organized attempt to bring about the cooperation and unity of all believers. That's good, right? Okay? As Christians, we're supposed to be united, right? We're supposed to be united under God's truth, right? And that, the relationship that we have through Jesus Christ and him alone, right? That's a good thing. But see, that's not what they're doing anymore. Okay, on the outset, it sounds good. But what they don't tell you is this term has been changed on us and it's come to mean all believers. Now listen, the word they're believers has been changed. That means all believers, including those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, is what the term now come to mean. Okay, and their so-called unity is being sought not on the basis of truth, but from a watered-down version of it. But the Bible is clear, people. We Christians, genuine believers in Christ, as the only way to heaven, we do not join hands with somebody who's preaching a watered-down version of God's truth. Why? Because let me translate that for you. That's called a lie. We do not link hands with those people. The Bible says you better come out from among them and be ye separate. I didn't say that. God did. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 6. Is there opening text there? 2 Corinthians 6. What should we do with this one world religion? What's our response as a Christian? Okay, 2 Corinthians 6. If you find 1 Corinthians, what do you do? Hang around. You guys are awesome. You're getting there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 17. Okay, now this is the passage where Paul clearly says, don't be yoked with unbelievers. Okay, let's take a look at what that is going on. Because again, that's the premise in a nutshell. That's what the one world religion would have you and I, the evangelical Christian do to yoke ourselves up with these people who say that Jesus is not the only way. Let's see what the Bible says about that premise. Okay, verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, do not be what? Yoked together with unbelievers. Well, why? Uh, for, well, hello, he says, what, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Uh, what fellowship can light have with darkness? 
What, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? I, what, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement, because that's what they want us to do, to come together, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? He says, for we are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says who? The Lord. He says, touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Okay? Folks, according to our text, the Bible clearly says when it comes to unbelievers, i.e. non-Christians, what are we supposed to do? There's got to be some separation going on there. Okay, balance it out. Of course, the Bible says we can hang out with them because who else is going to witness to them, right? That's common sense, but that's the point. Who's witnessing to who? Okay, we hang out. We can hang out with them. We can witness to them. Somebody's got to tell them about Jesus, and somebody's got to love them. Somebody's got to love them enough to tell them the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, right? That's what the scripture has to say, okay? Because we're concerned about their eternal destiny. But the context here that Paul's talking about, he says, man, Christian, the last thing you ever want to do is to be yoked with them, okay? And that just sounds evil to onset because it sounds like a chicken thing, doesn't it? Is am I the only one that gets that, Mary? No, okay. Well, it is a bad thing. And that's because the word yoke there literally means to be bound together with, right? To be bound together with. That's what he's talking about. Paul says, don't do that. With a non-Christian. Yes, you can witness to them. You can hang out with them. But don't be bound together with. Don't come together as one per se. Okay, why? Because it's like oil and water. It doesn't mix. In fact, it can't mix. No matter how you mix it, it ain't going to work. Why? Because you cannot mix God's holy, righteous truth with a lie. You can't do it. And that's Paul's argument there. He says, why in the world would a born-again Christian try to mix God's truth with the devil's lie? That's why he says, what do right and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Can I translate that for you in the context of our study and what our society is trying to push upon you and I? How in the world can a born-again Christian go along and link hands and bound themselves together with this lie called a one-world religion? That's what he's saying there. It blows him away. He says, you cannot meld the two together. Why? Because as we saw last week, this is the crux. This is the thing that gets stuck in their crawl, that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I didn't say that. He did. And we're just quoting Bible, okay? That's what sticks in the crawl. And that's why Paul says, what do you do, Christian? You better come out from among those people that say that. You better be separate from them. You better touch no unclean thing, including this lie of one where religion says the Lord. Now listen, this is precisely what the ecumenical movement is trying to get the church to do. To bind ourselves together with this lie under the sake of unity by watering down God's truth and sucking us into it. And the first way that they're doing that, folks, is by getting us to repeat this lie. It sounds so wonderful. Hey, we just need to love one another. You know what I'm saying? I mean, how many of you guys heard that before? We just, it, oh, if we want to bring peace to the planet, then we just need to love one another right? Just find some common ground. We're just going to love one another, okay? Don't believe me? That's one of the big premises that they're promoting. This is a video clip from the United Religions Initiative, and you tell me if they're not using this as an excuse to get us to all come along and come under the umbrella of a one-world religion. We just got to love one another. Let's take a look. Peace. It should be the natural order. Peace. Why is it so hard to find? Peace. Why do people try so hard to prevent it? 
Why do so many people divide, split, and fracture the one face of humanity? Is there something you can do to heal the violence? Yes, religiously motivated violence can end. This is your invitation to be a peace builder. In the year 2000, a unique global community took the initiative to end religiously motivated hate and violence by founding the United Religions Initiative. Because of URI, Indians and Pakistanis of diverse faiths are looking beyond the boundaries that divide them. Because of URI, Christian and indigenous peoples of Latin America are creating a new world of mutual respect. Because of URI, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and Druze in the Middle East are learning that the only real security is peace. In just a few short years, the United Religions Initiative has spread to 50 countries on five continents. In a few short years, former enemies have stopped seeing each other as the other and started seeing each other as themselves. Baha'i, Christian, Muslim, Jew, Zoroastrian, Buddhist, Sikh, Hindu. All around the world, URI is helping people experience the shared human face behind the different human faiths, achieving on a deep, personal, spiritual level what impersonal governments and organizations have been unable to accomplish before. Now, more than ever, this initiative must become a shared initiative. One neighborhood, one community, one region at a time. Huh? Don't you guys want to be a peace builder? Notice what the whole premise of that video uh, two things, you just got to love one another, right? That's the premise, that's what I'm talking about today. But notice what was the other lie that they're propagating. Religiously motivated violence. Under the guise that, you know, religion is the major cause of wars, right? We saw last week, that's not true, it's politics, okay? And again, if you don't know, politics is two words, poly meaning many, ticks are blood-sucking creatures. They're looking in the wrong direction, okay, is what's going on there, okay? But don't you guys want to be a peace builder? I mean, come on, we just love one another, and if we all just work together, and we just, just, just submit and just come together, the peace comes to the planet, just... Now listen, here's, you talk about the ecumenical movement because remember, this is the inroads to the church. And they'll quote Bible back at us out of context to try to get us to go along with this lie. Okay, and here's one of the verses that they do to do that. They twist the words of Jesus here. John chapter 13, verse 35. And this is the words of Jesus. Jesus is saying this. John 13, 35. A new command I give you, he says, right? What do you do? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must. It's an imperative, folks. You must love one another. And by this, Al, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. Well, folks, there you have it from the lips of Jesus himself. We're all supposed to love one another. We just got to join hands. We got to link together. We got to bind ourselves together, yoke up with anyone and everyone on the whole planet, including people of different faiths, so we can have this one world religion and peace. No, that's not what that text says. Okay, read the context. First of all, we know scripturally peace only comes to the planet when the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, comes back to the planet. Man is not going to usher that in. Hello. And as far as loving one another, the context is what? Believers in Christ. Yes, we are to love each one as a Christian, but we are not to bind ourselves together with those who support satanic lies. Yes, again, as we saw earlier, we're to be concerned about the lost. We are to pray for the lost. We are to love the lost enough to tell them the truth that they're wrong. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. But we do not believe like them, and we certainly don't yoke up together with them. That's not what that text is saying, okay? 
It's a lie, okay? Now, plus, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Okay, that's just the one command from Jesus that he states, he is, John 14, 6, I am the way, the life, the truth. Nobody comes to the Father uh, except through him. That's it, okay? That's just one thing. But listen, it's an illusion to think that we all believe the same. It's crazy. Listen, can we really get along, listen, Christian, of those who believe that we ourselves are gods or that we'll burn in a mythical place called purgatory where we purge away our own sins before we can get into heaven, which is denying the cross of Christ, can we really join hands with those who would have you and I believe that sin and evil is an illusion, that hell is only make-believe, listen, and that for heaven, for some men, will be to endlessly satisfy their lusts with as many virgins as they want, and that only happens after you kill a bunch of people. Can we really get along with those who are claiming to be Christians, yet say you have to keep the sacraments to be saved, or Satan doesn't exist, or Christ's work on the cross is not sufficient nor secure? Can we really join hands and have fellowship with those would have you and I believe that Jesus is not God, but just the archangel Michael, or worse yet, he's the spirit brother of Satan himself? I don't think so. The Bible is clear. Christian, come out from among them and be ye separate. Why? Saith the Lord, that's why. You cannot have fellowship with those who are preaching lies. Why? Because eternity is on the line. If they're being led down a false path, they're being led straight into hell. And as God's children, he doesn't want us to have anything to do with that. Don't believe me? Hey, folks, let's take a little sneak peek of what's going to happen to this one world religion movement. The mystery uh, Babylon, the harlot, as the scripture calls her, okay? You tell me if God's pleased with that movement. And let's take a look at what God is going to do to that movement in the seven-year tribulation. Let's take a look at that text. Revelation 18, uh, verses 4 through 8 and 23 says this. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, what do you do, people? Bind with her, yoke up together, have fellows, come out. It's a second time. Get out of her, man. Don't be a part of that. My people, come out of her, my people. Why? So that you will not share in her sins. So that you will not receive any of her plagues. Anybody starting to realize that's not good stuff? Okay, hello. Okay. For her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. Give her back as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much what? Torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, <laughs> I sit in the throne as a queen. I'm not a widow. I'll never mourn. I'm on top of the world. How many guys have learned that God always has the last word? You know what I'm saying? And that's what he says. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She's going to be consumed by fire. By who? God. For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. Listen. And by your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. Can I tell you what I really believe one of those quote-unquote magic spells is that's sucking in the nations of the world? It's this lie taken out of context, even trying to quote Bible. You just got to love. Huh? If we just link hands and love each other and bind ourselves together, no matter what we believe, including those fundamentalists that Jesus is the only way to heaven, then we can finally bring peace to the planet. We'll have this one world religion and won't it be great? No. Unless you want to be a part of a different kind of barbecue that I don't recommend. All right? And it's all happening right now. All before our very eyes. We're being conditioned to accept it. And that's exactly what the Bible said would happen when you were living in the last days. The second lie of the ecumenical movement is trying to get us to fall for this, the church, and, and go along with the one world religion, is to repeat another lie. And that's this one. We not just need to love, Al. We just got to tolerate. 
We just gotta tolerate one. Can, can I translate that? Here's the popular phrase. Don't ever judge. Anybody hear that one? That's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay, let's take a look at that. Here's another verse that they quote out of context, slap it back at you and I, trying to suck us into this, that somehow we should never judge. And once again, they twist the words of Jesus. Shocker, Matthew chapter seven, verse one. And Jesus is speaking, and this is what it says. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. How many guys heard that quoted? Even by non-Christians, okay? And he says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it's gonna be measured to you. It's usually how it comes across, right? Well, there you have it, folks. We just read the Bible, okay? The Bible says we should never judge another person. No matter what they believe, no matter what they do, no matter what they say, we just got to love and accept them and tolerate them, right? Wrong answer. Woo, that was cool. Wrong answer. That's right. That'll wake you up. Give it up for sound problems. That's right. Hey, folks, I'm here to tell you this is another one of the biggest lies that's being perpetrated on you and I, the church, especially in these last days, okay? And believe it or not, it's preparing us for this one world religion. And the reason why I know it's a lie is because, folks, if we were not supposed to judge anything or anyone, no matter what they believe, say, or do, including their supposed version of God, then why did Jesus say this in John 7? Not just Matthew 7. Read the context there. We'll get to that in a second. Why did Jesus say this in John? You want to pick some words of Jesus? Pick this one, too. Here's what Jesus said. Stop judging. Now, don't stop there. Keep reading. He says, by what? Mere appearances. And then you still don't stop. He says, and then you get busy what? you make a right judgment, okay? Now that's from Jesus there, folks. He isn't saying we should never judge, okay? He, he didn't say never to make a judgment. All he said was when you do make a judgment, it needs to what? It needs to be right. In other words, get your facts straight before you jump the gun, right? He didn't say never judge. And then if we're never supposed to judge, then why the apostle Paul say this one? I don't know how you get around this one. This is hilarious, folks. First Corinthians 6, 1 through 5, Paul says this to the church. The church was not dealing with matters in the church. The church was taking each other before the world to deal with their problems. And Paul calls them on the carpet. And he says this, are you kidding me? He says, church, if any of you has a dispute with one another, it's going to happen, okay? He says, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment? Instead of before the saints, the church, what are you doing? He says, do you not know that the saints will what? Judge the world. And if we are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge the angels? How much more the things in this life? Especially church matters. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges, even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Because what were they not doing? They weren't judging in the church. Is it possible, he says, that there's nobody among you in the whole church wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? How many times did it say judge in just those few verses? Folks, according to the Bible, I think it's pretty clear. It sounds like we Christians are not only supposed to be judging, we're supposed to be judging up a storm, right? <laughs> what it says there. And so the question is, why in the world do people quote Matthew 7 Okay, do not judge, lest you be judged. And, and why do they quote that and say that we're never supposed to judge? Well, hello, it's because they're quoting it out of context. Matthew 7 is dealing with a hypocritical judgment. If you read the context of where a person is judging somebody else of doing something when they themselves are guilty of doing the same thing, in fact, possibly even worse. And the way that we know that is because the text says that one person who's judging has a log in their eye. How many guys say that that really hurts when you drive? Yeah, okay, it's a hazard. Okay, you got a log in your eye, but the only person, by contrast, has a what? A speck in their eye, okay? But listen, it still doesn't stop there. It does not say don't ever judge. 
It tells you what to do. It says you first take the log out of your eye, then sit there and say nothing. No, then you can rightly judge to remove that speck from the other person's eye, right? The whole point of the passage of Matthew 7 and John 7 is not to say that we are never supposed to judge, but exactly the opposite. It says you are supposed to judge, but before you judge, get rid of your hypocrisy first and make sure you get your facts straight. Right? And in essence, it really isn't you and I, the Christian, who's doing the judging. Just like in a court of law that we have today, we're judges in the sense that we are upholding the law. Right? That's what a judge day. He upholds the law of the land. And as Christians, we're not really judging them. We're upholding God's law on what he says is right and wrong. So the problem really isn't with you and I. It's with God. And I don't recommend you take a fight up with him because you're going to lose every time. And yet this is what the ecumenical movement is saying even in the church. That we should never do, Christians. We should never judge between right and wrong. We just got to accept everything is right and that nothing is wrong. Have you guys heard that? And this is their buzz phrase for all that, what I just explained to you. We just need to tolerate. Isn't that what it is? Just love one another and we tolerate one another. But here's the problem as we saw before, folks. We're going to take a look at it again. As we saw before, they've changed the definition of tolerance on us. That used to be a good term. We, we would put up with something not especially liked or, or uh, loved. You know, like it was, and, and we're going to see this in a second. You know, we would love the sinner, but hate to sin. That's what it used to mean, but they changed it now, as this guy shares. Let's take a look at what they've done to us, and their snookers into falling in for this lie as well. Let's take a look. Some of you say, wait a minute, I thought tolerance was good. That's the problem. That's the problem. Little Johnny comes home from school, and that very sincere Christian mother from the most fundamental evangelical church meets little Johnny, says, honey, how was school today? Oh, mommy, what'd you talk about? We talked about tolerance. And that Christian mother goes, oh, that's wonderful. You know, Jesus taught us to be tolerant. Absolutely not. That mother is undermining everything that she believes, and it won't take years. It'll only take months to come back and halt her. See, wait a minute, I don't get this. The reason is this. Right now, there's two distinct separate definitions of tolerance. One, I call historical or traditional tolerance. It's a one that almost every one of us has here been conditioned to think by. And how you're listening to me through traditional tolerance, I am speaking from a whole new definition of tolerance. Traditional tolerance would be defined by Webster. To bear or put up with someone or something not especially liked. Or in our circles we'd say, you know, God has called me as a Christian to love the sinner, but to hate the sin. That's one of the most bigoted statements you can make today. You make that average statement in average classroom today, and that entire class would turn on you. The bigotry, the intolerance to say, love the sinner, hate the sin. The reason is, there's a second definition of tolerance. And I would say 80% of the time, outside the walls of the church, when you hear the word tolerance, whether the media, magazine, school, or what, it is not the tolerance you're conditioned to think by. It's a whole new definition of tolerance. 80% of the time, it's a new definition. The tolerance you were brought up with is now referred to as negative tolerance. The new tolerance is called positive tolerance. It's defined this way. Every single individual's values, beliefs, lifestyle, and claims to truth are equal. Then repeat that. All values... All beliefs, all truth, 
All lifestyles are equal. And if you dare to say there's a value of belief, a lifestyle or claim to truth greater than another, that is called hierarchy, and that's the new definition of bigotry. A bigot today has nothing to do with racism or anything. A bigot today is someone who's committed to moral hierarchy, that there's difference in values, beliefs, lifestyle, or claims to truth. Positive tolerance adds the word praise. And what it means is this, we not only want your permission, we demand your praise. And if you do not praise my value, my lifestyle, my claim to truth, as equal to your own, now listen to this, as equal to your own from the heart, you are a bigot and you are intolerant. From the heart. It's called positive tolerance. Let me show you just how it's hit the church, just in a little brief one. Can you tell me historically what's been the number one verse quoted from the scriptures by Christians, non-Christian, Christian young people, non-Christian young people, the media, everything? What's the number one verse quoted historically by the scriptures? John 3.16. Do you know what it is now? Have you all been listening? Have you been listening to your own young people? Can anyone tell me now, by far away out front of everything, what's the number one verse quoted even by Christian young people from the Bible? Number one now, what is it? Judge not that you be not judged. Listen. Why? The moment you make a judgment, you're saying there's hierarchy. And that makes you a bigot and intolerant. We better wake up. Where are they getting that idea? Schools, media. We'll get to that in a second. But why do you say we need to wake up? Because here's where it's being corralled into, Christian. Church. Because everything we believe in as Christians is at risk. This new definition of tolerance that they put out there is now meaning that, guess what, Christian, you and I are going to become the new enemy of the state. That's where it's headed. Because we're intolerant. We're right-wing extremists. We're fundamentalists. We won't go along with this one world religion. How dare you be so bigoted? How dare you be so intolerant? Don't you know that it's religious wars that are the major cause of... All that we believe in, all of Christianity, all of the Bible, all of Scripture is based on absolute rights and wrongs that come from God. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, not one of many. The Bible declares that there is only one God, not several, or that we can become God. The very Ten Commandments are what? Absolute judgments of right and wrong from God. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not commit idolatry, on and on it goes, from God. He says you shall not tolerate that. Plus, think about it. How can all values be equal? It'll never work. It's a lie. What if somebody's value, and this is true, people, what if it was their value to molest their children? Is that right? Am I supposed to accept that? If you bought into this new de definition of tolerance, you would have to say yes, but common sense logic and certainly the Bible in your heart says no. This is what it's leading to, folks. What if another person's value was to teach their children to steal for a living? What if it was a mother's value to teach her daughter a fulfilling lifestyle called prostitution? What if a father had a value that he felt is so important to pass along to his son, that of being an abuser of women? Now, can I tell you something? Pay attention in the religious context. Some religions right now today do teach those things. Women are treated as prostitutes. In different religions, they are forced into subservient lifestyles. They even are killed if the husbands don't like them. Am I supposed to tolerate that? In some religious cultures today, people get their hands chopped off for stealing or their heads chopped off for disagreeing. Am I supposed to agree with that? 
Do I tolerate that? If I say something against that and speak out against that, am I being intolerant? This is where we're headed. And listen, if you study history, it's true biblical Christianity that has freed people historically from these tyrannous belief systems by the standard of right and wrong being set by God. No, you don't chop somebody's head off and you don't treat a woman like a slave. Christianity has freed the culture from that. But now true, genuine Christian love and God's truth is being labeled as intolerant. This is what the ecumenical movement is getting the church to buy into. What do he say? What's the number one quoted verse right now among Christian people? Judge not lest you be judged. It makes sense, doesn't it? And this is what they want us to be. We, we can't judge now between what is right and wrong. We can't preach the Bible. We can't say that Jesus is the only way. We can't say anything on moral issues. We have to accept everything. We have to tolerate anything is right and nothing is wrong. It's all happening right now before our very eyes. The church is even caving in on it. And it's all part of forming a one world religion that the Bible said is gonna happen when you're living in the last days. The third way the ecumenical movement is getting even the church to fall for this lie of a one world religion uh, just one more today, I got a couple more, Lord willing, next week, is to get us to repeat this lie. We know we just need to love one another. We know we need, need to tolerate, we don't judge. Whatever you need. Hey, Christian, come on, man, let's be reasonable. Why don't you just rethink this thing as they hypnotize you with these lies? I just, just come on, what's the, what's the big, don't be so harsh. Don't, don't be so judgmental. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, what do, what do you, you don't want to be intolerant, do you? I mean, you just need to rethink this idea through with me, will you? That Jesus is the only way to heaven and that God, your God, is the only one worthy of worship. Excuse me? That's not what the Bible says we need to be doing. Let me give you just one passage that's clear about that. You better only serve God, okay? And uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 13 through 15 says, Fear the Lord your God and serve what? Him only, period, ipso facto, not the other ones. In case you don't get that, continue to read. And take your oaths in his name, not the name of Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. Can I translate that for you in the modern vernacular? Do not go along, Christian, with this one world religion. You cannot follow their gods. Period. Okay? Why? For the Lord your God who is among you, he sees this all, is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. And Jesus, of course, says in the New Testament that what is the greatest commandment? If you can only pick one, Old or New Testament, what's the best thing, number one thing you could do as a born-again Christian? It's to love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. This is the greatest commandment. It's just God. That's it. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I think God takes it kind of personal. How about you? He doesn't want his kids following and worshiping other gods. Read the Bible. That's all over the place, man. Old Testament, New Testament, that's pretty clear, okay? He takes it personal. Why? Because his children are supposed to be like him. Jesus is the truth. So when we speak, we're supposed to speak the truth. Okay? Not agree and promote a lie. He's it. He's the only way, the only truth, okay? And we are not to be working together with people who are preaching a false truth, a law, specifically one that is leading people to hell. And I don't care how popular it is today and definitely politically correct, that's what the ecumenical movement is trying to get us to do. That church, I know that's what the Bible says, but don't you know that's just a cultural thing that doesn't apply today? Okay, yeah, maybe that was good for them, but now, don't you understand, the world is in turmoil, and we just got to overlook that. You just got to compromise and work together and rethink this thing. How dare you, Al, say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Come on. That's what the ecumenical movement 
is getting us to do. And just in case, that's right, you don't rethink this on your own, Christian. They got a backup plan, okay? And let me expose that for you. It's been in place for quite some time. They plan to re-educate you, okay? Now, if they can't get to you and I, who are being fundamentalists and old and stuck in our ways, we never do that, do we? There's some good things to be stuck on, okay? Hello. And that when, especially when it comes to God's truth, you never budge, okay? I didn't say that. God did, okay? They're going after the next generation, Okay, they can't get you and I through the media. They're going after the next generation. And what they're doing is they are brainwashing our kids into an accepting a one-world religion, a one-world government, a mark of the beast type system to keep track of everything right now. And the way that they're doing that, folks, I exposed this before, but we've got to deal with this again. They're doing it through the public educational system. Okay, don't believe me? This guy was absolutely shocked when somebody confronted the truth with him. Here's what's being taught in your average classroom. See, we think that we're cutting our kids loose and it's just reading, writing, and arithmetic. They've been hijacked. What if I were to tell you that a former communist leader is now dictating, listen, dictating the curriculum in our public schools? It's happening. Take a look at this. His name is Miguel Gorbachev. Let's take a look. It's been said that the best teachers are often found in the corners. Well, interestingly enough, someone sent this article to me from a small town newspaper. Look what they're beginning to teach in public schools. Number one, earth worship. Number two, evolution. Number three, socialized medicine. Number four, world government. Number five, animal rights. In other words, animals seen as brothers and sisters. Number six, redistribution of American wealth to other nations. Number seven, contraception and reproductive health. Number eight, legal abortions. Number nine, debt forgiveness to third world nations. Number 10, the adoption of the gay rights agenda. Number 11, the elimination of the right to bear arms. And finally, number 12, setting aside massive amounts of private land where no human presence is allowed. GLOBE stands for global learning and observation to benefit the environment. Mikhail Gorbachev is the head of an organization called Green Cross International, operating right here in the United States. Gorbachev is working to create world government and he's helping implement this education scheme. He has also joined partnership with UNESCO, which is the source of much of the anti-American education curriculum, as well as the International Baccalaureate program. This GLOBE program is funded and implemented through the Federal Department of Education, created under Goals 2000, and is now carried over in No Child Left Behind. No Child Left Behind? It should rightly be called No Child Left Unindoctrinated. It, it, the whole thing, guys, it just reminds me of like when you, if you're witness to a, a Jehovah's Witness or you witness uh, to a Mormon, and you ask them the question, do you believe in Jesus Christ? They will say, yes, but you don't stop there or you're going to get duped. Because their Jesus Christ means a whole different thing. 
as I stated earlier, and that's some of the ones that I drew out in the context, can we link hands and join hands with these people? Jehovah's Witnesses would say that Jesus Christ is not God. He's the Archangel Michael. Right? Mormons would say that he's the spirit brother of Satan. It's the same thing. If you don't get behind the terminology, you don't see that we're being lied to. I mean, that sounds great, doesn't it? No child left behind. Who came up with that? A communist leader who's using it to prepare kids for the one world government based in America. And we're paying for it. I like when guys say, oh, you're a conspiracy. Hey, listen, it's not a conspiracy if you can demonstrate it as fact. That's what's happening. They're being indoctrinated in what? Anti-God, anti-American ideals to erase any sense of national patriotism and instead accept a one world government, a one world religion, and a anti-Christ kingdom. Our schools have been hijacked to brainwash the next generation because you and I have the audacity not to go along with it. It's in place already. And if that, that's the tip of the iceberg. One guy says this. He says, that ain't nothing. He says, many public schools have become pagan religion indoctrination centers. These schools now teach children anti-Judeo-Christian beliefs and pagan religions. And they try to mold children's minds through the latest techniques of behavior psychology. Here's just a small sample of the flood of spiritual lessons being taught in school. Remember, we're being told, keep religion out. Then why are you teaching this? Keep religion out means keep Christianity out, is what it means. He says, here's just a few samplings. Their kids are being taught across America in public schools altered states of consciousness, astrology, forms of divination, spiritism, magic, spells, sorcery, occult charms uh, and symbols, solstice rites, sacred sex and serpent worship, human sacrifice. Students are given lessons on death education and lessons advocate the cultural endorsement of abortion and euthanasia. Because you need to, remember what was the premise of these guys, as crazy as it sounds, annihilate 90% of the population of the planet. Well, people ain't gonna go along with that. But if you train the next generation to think it's their patriotic duty to let somebody else tell them when to die, it speeds up the process, doesn't it? And they're being told to prepare the next generation for new forms of sacrifice, such as the notion of sacrificing oneself for the common good. Huh? And he says this, is this what our children should be learning? Should schools turn children into earth and spirit worshipers? Should parents pay property taxes for public schools that promote pagan religions? I can answer that, no. No. The kids are supposed to be taught, so we've been told, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Instead, listen, they're being re-educated to hate the United States of America, to hate our national sovereignty, to hate the Christian God of the Bible, and accept the Christian, the Antichrist kingdom. It's a shock, but it's documented. It's out there. I'm not making it up. It's all happening right now. We have to deal with this. But the Bible says you can also expect this kind of stuff when you're living in the last days. Because our whole planet, you think, oh, there's no way they'll get all the religions to come together. Yes, they will. You just need to rethink this. You gotta love each other. You just gotta, you just gotta come together. Now, and if you think this is a surprise, one more for proof. We've already seen this before. I'm just gonna give you a couple of these. This, folks, was the pre-stated goals of the humanists that took over our educational system. They admit that they're using the educational system against us to prepare our kids who they think is their kids and their property for the new world order. Let's take a look at just a couple of those quotes we saw before. Charles Potter, he said, education is thus the most powerful ally of what? 
humanism. And every American school is a school of humanism. And he mocks us, folks, as Christians. He says, what can a theistic Sunday school's meeting for an hour once a week, teaching only a fraction of the children, that's even if they show up, and that's even if you go to a church nowadays that even preaches the truth. What can that do to stem the tide of a five-day program of what? Humanistic teaching. John Dumphy said, I'm convinced that the battle for mankind's future must be waged and won in the where? Public school classroom by teachers who correctly perceive their role as proselytizers of a new faith, a religion of what? Humanity is what he says there. These teachers must embody, listen, the same selfless dedication as the most rabid fundamentalist preachers. Okay, apparently I'm, I'm not foaming, am I? At the mouth? All right. Uh, for they will be ministers of another sort in the classroom. Utilizing a classroom instead of a pulpit to convey humanist values in whatever subject they teach. Listen, it's all over the place. From we high, regardless of the educational level, starting with preschool, daycare, even the large state university. The classroom must and will become the arena of conflict between the old and new, the rotting corpse. Who are they going after? Christianity and the new faith of humanism. It's become their pulpit. And finally, Harvard professor of education, psychiatry, he admits it. He says, listen, this is their attitude towards us as Christians and our kids. Every child in America entering school at the age of five is what? Mentally ill. Why? Because he comes to school with certain allegiances towards our founding fathers, towards elected officials, towards his parents, towards the belief in a supernatural being. Listen, towards the sovereignty of this nation as a separate entity. Listen, it is up to you teachers to make all these sick children well by creating what? The international children of the future. Can I translate that for you? by creating those, a whole new generation, who will go along with a one world religion, a new world order, a one world government, and at some point, even submit to the mark of the beast. It's happening right now before our eyes, and the Bible said that's what you can expect. Just chalk it up when you're living in the last days. Folks, what more does God have to do? I mean, how much proof does he have to give us? This is all taking place. This is not again, this is real. But praise God, he loves us. He doesn't want us to go to the seven-year tribulation. He certainly doesn't want us to go to hell forever. And this is why I truly believe he's given us yet another sign. The sign today again. A second time of a one-world religion that shows us the tribulation's near, which means the second coming of Christ is coming. You better get ready. And that's why Jesus once again says, Luke 21, 28, when these things begin to take place, they even hijack your schools and they start preaching this lie that people even in the church are falling for. We just gotta love one another. We should never judge, just tolerate, just rethink this idea and come together. When you see that happen, Christian, what do you do? Freak out, run to the hills, hide. Are you kidding me? We need to get excited. Jesus Christ is coming back. He is the Lord and Savior of all. He's the King of kings, the master of the universe. And when he comes, he's putting all this stuff down and we get to be with him. We're the winners, not the losers. We should get excited when we see this stuff take place. And that's why he says, you better stand up, man. You better lift up your head. Woo, we're going home. And we get to be a part of that, not because of us, simply because of his wonderful work on the cross for us as a gift. And so as we close today, hey, listen, the point's the same. If you're a Christian here today, it's a time to get busy. We gotta link together, all right? We gotta link together as Christians. We gotta stop fighting each other. We gotta work together. Stand fast on God's truth. Don't compromise. And let our world know, no, you're wrong. And I'm telling you that because I care about you, because I love you. Jesus is the only way. 
And there are rights and wrongs. Get it right, though, with Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today, as we close, if you're not a Christian, I beg you, please heed the signs, heed the warnings. Why do you think God has you here today? You think it's by chance? How much proof does he have to give you? This one world religion, listen, there's a horrible penalty to pay. It's popular. The world loves it. It's politically correct. But listen, if you continue to follow this lie, the one world religion, that all paths lead to heaven. It's a lie that's going to end you up in hell. And you might just be one click away. We'll close in prayer after this. Let's take a look. How many of you think that you'll go to hell? The world has themselves convinced that this is a place that they are not going to. No man wants to believe he's going there. And you know, some of you, you've read this text. I know that there are those of you, I know, I know based on what God's Word tells me. Some of you in this place that hear my voice will go to the place I described today. Some of you are headed there. You don't think you are, but even now you provoke God by your very attendance of His worship today. Because you have not Christ. You have no hope. You're without God. But you don't think you'll go there. You think that somehow you're going to reason you're going to figure out because of something that you have done or are doing or hope to do in the future. Somehow, you plan to miss that place. Three people every second are passing into eternity. That fast, souls are going out of this world into an eternal hell or an eternal joy. And God's Word says most of those are on the broad way to destruction. Christ is the only way to the Father. Those who are Buddhists in this world are passing into damnation. Those who died practicing Muslims are going practicing Catholics. If they are worshiping Mary, they are not worshipers of Christ. One of those cliques has your name on it. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die... And it's coming for each one of us. We're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called His law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like His x-ray into our heart to show us what He already knows, that He is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from Him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, His divine law, to show us what He already knows. The Ten Commandments 
uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him 
to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.